Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Let's go there. With Shira and Ryan. Entertainment. Music. Pop culture. LGBT plus news. Let's go there. Starts now. <laughs> hello, hello. Happy Wednesday. This is Let's Go There with Shira and Ryan, where we catch you up on the news of the day, pop culture, our crazy lives, so much more with fun music in between here on Channel Q. Raise your hand if it feels like a Tuesday. I'm raising Tuesday? my hand. Yes, it does not feel no. like it's the halfway through the week. It to does. be honest, it feels like it's still Monday. No, it feels like it could be Thursday. Um... No. I know I'm not allowed. I need Friday to get here quickly, though, to be quite honest. This week has been one mm. for the books, and I'm, the book is bad. The book is not a good book. It would never be on Oprah's bestseller book list, whatever she does. It wouldn't be. This mm. book has been okay. intense. Well. Can I stop rambling about books at this point? Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know how much you're into books. Well, we're happy uh, to move into another book very soon. <laughs> the Book of Positivity. Oh, God, the book of positivity. That is awful. No, but seriously, though, um, I, I just want to say one more shout out to a producer, Vanessa, who had a wonderful birthday yesterday. Oh, yes. By the way, uh, we were in a movie theater for the first time in, what, over a year. We She got a movie theater, and there was only 10 people, right? You could actually get these. It makes me feel like only rich people do this. No. But we're n- but, no have you it's never had a birthday party at a movie theater where your friends I don't remember the last come? time I did that. No. That's like a, I mean, I think it happens for the ages of eight to like maybe 10 or 12. I don't remember doing this when I was younger. <laughs> but, but you I, know, producer Vanessa, she turned yes. 30 and she, you know, her friends put this together for her and I thought it was a brilliant idea. It was idea. very nice. We watched Fast and the Furious, which I thought I would be like, ugh, this movie. Yeah. But actually, it was good. The sound was so loud. Oh, I hadn't been in a movie, a movie theater, theater for so long. We, no, even Vanessa, we got in there, we're like, ow, our ears. Oh. It's amazing how you... you Forget your body. It's amazing how old I am. <laughs> and by the way, the star of Fast and Furious, yeah. what's his name? Who passed? Paul. Paul. I don't know his Paul last what? name. Paul, Paul Walker. Paul Walker. Walker. So what, yes. what a good guy. What a great and, guy. And so, so beautiful. Beautiful oh. man. I feel so bad. It's so sad. Anyway, so that was a little fun last night. Happy birthday, Vanessa. And good I ate uh, too much stuff. candy and popcorn. But I'm here today. And we've got a lot going on. We're going to be talking about why Georgia voter suppression efforts may not actually change election results. How's that possible? We've got those answers in 30 minutes. Plus, what your favorite emojis say about your stress. Ooh, are you get, get ready. 
check your emojis. We're going to be uh, getting into what that could mean about how your life is going. I think all my emojis are the horny emojis. What is your top emoji? All right, let's look. Here we now go. I'm looking quickly. My top emoji. Actually, no, my top emoji is the weird squiggly face. Like oh, the one where yeah, he's like, that's mm, a good my stomach hurts. That's my go-to one. And then the other ones are like the eggplant, the water splash emoji. You know, all the horny ones. Okay. I have a heart, then uh, the one with the hearts around it. And then I have one where she hands her hands up like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> and then I do have a cry emoji. So, yeah, those are mine. Wow, that does say a lot. Yeah, it does. I'm telling you. So, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Oh, and by the way, we're talking about the emoji thing at 425 p.m. Pacific, 725 p.m. Eastern. Uh, But President Biden reacted to Republicans who want to push Liz Cheney out of the GOP. Here was his take on all that drama. It seems as though the Republican Party is trying to identify what it stands for. And they're in the midst of... uh, significant uh, sort of mini revolution going on in the Republican Party. Okay. He said it. A mini revolution. Cheney has been called out for speaking out about Trump and his unwillingness to accept his loss in the election. And so they don't want to hear any of that. Twitter said it was releasing a feature that automatically detects mean replies on its service and prompts people to review the replies before sending them. Oh, that's annoying. They said, that's re- literally my go-to voice is mean. <laughs> Well, you have a lot of work to do here. Want to review this before tweeting? Uh, They'll ask you. Twitter users will have three options in response. Tweet as is, edit, or delete. So basically, it's just creating a more, uh, you know, sufficient way of you second-guessing yourself. (laughs) At least they're helping you Don't believe in yourself. Do you want to review this before sending it? Which is, it's good. Well, if it's mean, but... uh, But that's the thing. How do you... How do they know his voice? Like, it could be something sarcastic or sassy. Tone is everything. Uh, and also, they should have had a fourth option, which was save to drafts. Which, you, That's not, real. you don't ever, I mean, maybe one day I'll get the, the <laughs> cojones enough to read my drafts. I literally sometimes just type things out and be like, no, I can't say this. And I just put it in drafts. Can we do a YouTube video for my channel saying, save in, uh, reading our saved in drafts Do you want to see cancel culture really work? <laughs> oh, God, maybe not. Um, so in the test, they found that if prompted, 34% of people revised their initial reply or did not reply at all. After being prompted once, people composed an average uh, 11% fewer offensive replies in the future. So there you go. I guess it's working. Uh, Finally, in the next hour of What's Trending This Hour, we're going to be talking about Facebook's decision on whether they're going to let Trump back on. That's in the next hour here on Let's Go There. But what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Um, Something weird happened today. Prince William and Kate Middleton are now... YouTubers? Are they trying to get up? Like, I feel like they're trying to be cool like Meghan Markle. Okay, well, let's talk about this. It is time for the T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge launched their YouTube channel today with the 25-second video montage of the couple at various Philly, uh, Phil, Philip Brand... What's the word? Philip Philanthropic. Philanthropic. <laughs> Philanthropic events and just galas, you know, them doing very uh, prince-like stuff. Uh, here's a small little eight-second clip that I was able to kind of compile of just like moments of like actually speaking, because most of it was just like, oh, I can watch these clips. By the way, you be careful what you say now, because these guys they're filming. I know. <laughs> do you need to roll your arm? Do I not? Do you not roll it? No. 
um, if that's what we can Sounds expect. Sounds cool. <laughs> we have a lot to do. But my main question here when I saw this is... How much do you think this is like a major rebrand? They want to show people how friendly they are so they can try to get ahead of like the whole Meghan Markle situation. I feel like it's still lingering and looming. They just want to show people that they aren't as bad. And and I think Prince Harry wants, uh, Prince William wants to show people that he did not ask what's the, uh, how dark the baby was going to be. I think that they really are trying to, to play into this. Oh, we're so wonderful. We're cute. We're just like you. Or like relevant. Yeah, because, you know, Meghan and Harry have the spot of, Deal. Well, I'm not even thinking about relevance. I really do think this is a, a power play because when you're a YouTuber, you get to show more of a personality. And I feel like for them to make this decision, they clearly want the to open the world, like the their lives up to the world in some way in a more kind of branded way. So I wonder if they're just trying to rebrand here. Let us know what your thoughts are. Are you going to be watching and subscribing to Prince William and Kate Middleton's YouTube channel? Um... I feel like if you're going to do that, you might as well just go and watch Bob Ross paint or something because it's going to be boring. Come on. You know you're intrigued. It's going I'm curious. To be I'm curious. That is your team report. I got more coming up next hour. And Kim Kardashian is in some legal mess that we got to talk about Ooh. that's happening next hour. Okay. Well, after this, we look at Biden versus Trump's relationship with some world leaders and what their approaches could mean for all of us. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We all know that Trump got close with world leaders many deem as problematic and evil, pretty much, like Russia, China, North Korea, and Venezuela, among many others, while Biden gives them, you know, the cold shoulder or calls them out on their abuse of human rights, as one would. Uh, so what do we do with all of this and which strategy could help us in the long run? And Garen joins us, a White House correspondent for The Washington Post with a focus on foreign policy and national security. Thanks for being here. My pleasure. So where does Biden currently stand with some leaders that Trump was trying to build bridges with? Well, a few uh, Biden is is also dealing with because he has to. You, you mentioned the leaders of, of Russia and China. Those are at the top of the list. But a lot of the minor players who got uh, pretty elevated treatment under Trump, uh, Biden is just ignoring them. He hasn't gotten on the phone with uh, the president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, or the leaders of Poland or Hungary, for example. Those are all nationalist leaders who, to one degree or another, uh, either looked like Trump, acted like Trump, or kind of kissed up to him. Uh, And and in all those cases, and and many more, uh, Biden is simply just not dealing with them. Yeah, it's really interesting, though, because I feel like Biden built his whole entire just campaign and just him kind of being this... uh, pinnacle of uh, trying to get our country back to, you know, being, I don't know, just good people again. (laughs) And so it's really interesting. He plays into the idea of, you know, being able to deal with both sides and kind of existing in the middle and and being able to hear from both sides. So is this the opposite of everything that he kind of stands for in the sense that he is not even willing to kind of speak to some of these leaders, even though I agree, maybe some of them don't deserve it? Well, no, not really. I mean, it. I, I understand your point. But another thing that Biden said as a candidate is that he wasn't going to coddle dictators. Uh, I remember at the debate, the first debate uh, back in, in September, uh, he accused Trump of being Putin's puppy. Uh, so, you know, he he Biden had made a point all along of saying that uh, Trump was mistreating uh, U.S. allies and uh, was way too close to dictators and that he would change that. Where I think it's really interesting and, and some people are are pointing to a, 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 at least some measure of hypocrisy is that 
one of the first things that Biden did as president was call Putin and try to uh, extend a, an arms deal. Now, most people think that was a good thing to do. But, you know, really, like the guy was like his third call or something. It was it was pretty early on. Yeah. And Biden is now inviting Putin to have a summit uh, probably in June somewhere in Europe. They have a lot to talk about. Uh, you, you know, past presidents of both parties have, have said that it's better to talk to your enemies than, than hate on your enemies. Uh, if you can possibly get something done with them, uh, even though both sides to know where you stand, you should try to do it. And that's the spirit in which Biden is doing this. Yeah. But, it, you know, here's the guy who was saying, you know, he's Putin's puppy and I won't be that. And, and he's about to sit down with the guy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it is important. So I, having covered this for so many years, where do you see the strategy being better? Will this work for us? Well, I mean, it's very much an open question. Uh, I think the larger question is with China. Uh, the, the Biden administration is very focused on on China as the primary challenge to the United States uh, in, in the 21st century and really across all realms, militarily, economically, diplomatically, uh, really, in, and, very, and fundamentally, which, which kind of system is better? Is a top-down system where one guy and, a, and, the, and the, uh, the, the cronies around him make all the decisions better, or is, is, is messy democracy better? Uh, and, and that, you know, those are big concepts and, and big ideas that Biden isn't, Biden isn't going to resolve in, in four years or eight years as president. But, you know, they, they have their eye on that as, as the main challenge. Uh, Putin is, is a bit of a different story. There are a lot of practical challenges dealing with Putin that they simply have to, to, get right. Uh, he's right next door to NATO and to our, some of our most important allies in Europe. Uh, he can mess with them. He does regularly. He's currently messing with Ukraine. There's sort of a lot of, of uh, mischief um, and that Putin can get up to that uh, Biden would like to try to put out on the table uh, and, and talk about and see where there might be a few areas that they could work together. I mean, it's such a change of environment, just of actions from President Biden when you compare him to President Trump at that time. So it, it does feel like a, a breath of fresh air, to be quite honest, just to see. Yeah, you, you mean that he's not holding hands with Kim Jong un? <laughs> right. It's like that, that's that the bare minimum. That, like, that didn't do it for you? I, yeah. I don't know. Wow, I'm obsessed with funny. you. Could you just come back all the time, please? Thank you for joining <laughs> sure, us. Sure, anytime. That was Ann Guerin, White House correspondent, for, uh, focusing on foreign policy and national security. Thanks again. Sure, you're very welcome. Coming up, why some think that the Georgia voter suppression efforts won't actually impact the election. This is interesting. More on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. New uh, voting laws that have been in question in states like Georgia will make voting harder, as we know, uh, by the actual law that was created. But will it actually affect the election? Well, some researchers say no. I don't even get how that's possible if you restrict something, how it doesn't create restrictive uh, results. But Dr. Bernard Thomas is with us, who has these answers. He's an associate professor of political science at Valdosta State University and author of The Demise and Rebirth of American Third Parties. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. Okay, so you've got to answer this. How will restrictive voting laws not create restrictive voting and you know, restrictive, I'm using that word, you know, limit the results. It all seems like one limitation would lead to another one. Well, you would think so, but but you have to think about the fact that 
you have to hit a certain threshold before there is an actual effect, before it causes the seat to shift from one party to another. And that's basically what it comes down to is, is are the laws strict enough? Are they harsh enough that they actually cause seats to turn over? This is, by the way, I'm not making any, any positive statement about the laws. I'm just talking about what the actual effect might be in terms of how the laws are right now, what we're seeing right now. So let's talk about like kind of the history of voter suppression from obviously from the past to now and how it's changed to where we are in this moment. Well, they used to be a lot more in your face. They were much more, much harsher. And this was a way of, of really keeping people from voting. And it had a devastating effect on American politics, a huge impact. And the problem is that in the past, well, the, the problem for people who want voter suppression is that the civil rights movement undermined their legitimacy. It's no longer considered acceptable. So now when a political party wants to suppress the vote, they have to be a lot sneakier, sneakier about it. But once you get to the point where you're trying to be sneaky about it, it starts making that they're less effective. Okay, so you increase the time that people have to take to, to vote. Well, it turns out people are often willing to stand in lines in order to vote. And so it doesn't quite work as well. So it doesn't peel off nearly as many votes as, as voter suppression used to uh, back 50, 60, 70 years ago. Yeah, and, and I see that. But is research like this are saying that it doesn't really move the needle that much? Does it uh, make it acceptable or normalize it then and become an excuse for Republicans to still push these laws? Well, number one, it doesn't make these laws even close to acceptable. So let's be clear about that. The idea of things like, well, you're not allowed to hand people water standing in line or that we may be voting should take about five, 10, 15 minutes. It shouldn't take six hours. So they're absolutely unacceptable. Um, And but the second point is, is really is that, yeah, right now, the way the laws are, they may not have much of an effect. But they have to be battled right now in the way that they are, because if they become more um, more restrictive, then what happens is you can have the exact opposite result. Right. The opposite result is it starts having an absolutely devastating effect on our 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 democracy. And so so I'm kind of not making the point that some people might be thinking, which is I'm saying not I'm not saying voter suppression is never a big issue. What I'm saying is at the moment, the way that these these laws are being set up and because of the way American elections are right now, they're not having going to have as big of an impact as it might seem on the surface. But if those laws become more restrictive, once you start peeling off a higher and higher percent of the voters, you start having a situation where they really could have a devastating effect. So yeah. it's it's I'm not really dismissing the importance of these laws. I think that I think that these laws are, are a very serious problem and they should be battled vigorously. Well, really, what I think you're highlighting is how, you know, that state, Georgia, turned blue and how it will probably continue to be blue and, and vote Democrat in, in a way that Republicans should really should be worried about. Is, is that kind of what you're saying here? And if you're talking Georgia, Georgia is trending uh, blue. That's right. Right. And right now, right now, now, the, the gerrymandering in, in Georgia and other states really slowed down the impact of that. But 
as it's trending blue, becomes going to become easier, probably, for Democrats to win the state houses, win Senate seats, um, and presidential elections. That seems to be where the trend is going. So it's almost like we see a the Republicans seem to be seeing a trend and are trying to stop it. And I'm saying this is probably not going to stop it. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. you said it. That was Dr. Bernard Tomas, Associate Professor of Political Science at Valdosta State University, also author of The Demise and Rebirth of American Third Parties. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Now, uh, Cinco de Mayo is today, and we're looking at the most ridiculous things people actually are Googling on this day. These questions that they're asking on Google are ridiculous. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. It's Cinco de Mayo, uh, and, you know, a lot of people have called it out in terms of how Americans celebrate it, because uh, no one really knows why they're celebrating it. They just think, oh, yeah, it's, it's a holiday where I get to have margaritas and eat Mexican food. Uh, well, it's an annual celebration, and for those of you who don't know, it's observed to commemorate the Mexican army's victory over the French Empire at the Battle of Puebla on May 5th, 1862. The question is, is like, when did the Americans start taking it over, right? Because it was like uh, a time to celebrate for the Mexican army, and then how did it become something that we all want to you know, I mean, that's celebrate. America doing what they do best, being colonizers. <laughs> hey, something else we get to take, like, that's take ownership of. <laughs> it's literally the the whole. That's our that's our talent. America's got talent, and it's colonizing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Google uh, released, uh, or at least CNN released uh, the uh, questions and searches that are most looked at on Google about Cinco de Mayo. Uh, which is, as they say, actually a bigger deal in the U.S. than it is in Mexico. So here are the interesting questions that really show how smart this country is. When is Cinco de Mayo? Do you have these answers, right? When is it, actually? May- Cinco de Mayo! I, I, I May 5th. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I can't then- understand why somebody would be like, well, when is it? Because it does sound like, if you're not familiar with Spanish, it sounds like, you know, it's a, just a day, and you're like, oh, when's Mother's Day this year? That's Do you know? Different. This Sunday. It's always on May 10th, isn't it? No, it's, it's May 9th, on? actually. Plot no, it's twist. It's always on the, uh, the first week it's of May. May. It's the first weekend, Sunday of May. It's not May 10th. When is Cinco de Mayo 2021? Again, no. this is a question people are asking on Google. Um, it's on May 5th, 2021. When is Cinco de Mayo 2019? This was a top Google search. I don't know why, because, you know. This is my um, favorite one. What is Cinco de Mayo in Spanish? <laughs> it's Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> That's not what I was saying. That was my favorite one, but that is kind of a really good one. Is uh, is Cinco de Mayo the Day of the Dead? Okay, so actually, that's a really good question because Cinco de Mayo. I I grew up after watching the Lizzie McGuire episode, thinking Cinco de Mayo was the Day of the Dead. Uh, dead. Which? How do you? How do? You, what's the Day of the Dead? Like, what is that? I don't want to. I don't want to be stereotypical what? and ask our resident. <laughs> Your resident Latinas here. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Day of the Dead is Dia de los Muertos. <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, but then what is it? Do, do you know what it's about? 
the day of the day. I am not Mexican, but I, I wa- believe it's a holiday. A yeah, Mexican I watch Coco. I watch Coco. It is, and it's it's really um, it's a holiday yeah. that you pay respects to the your ancestors and the people that were a part of your family That's at beautiful. one point. At, and then, and apparently, the, there's a legend that goes around it from if you watch Coco. I'm not sure if that's actually it, but this is why I'm referencing. This is my my source material. Uh, <laughs> Coco was, you know, it was, you know, it, normally you go to the graves of like your loved ones and your family, and you bring them a gift, and then like there's this magical bridge that comes across from I think the other this was side. Just in the movie. No, 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 no. This is a legend. It's, this oh, is, it's a legend. This yeah, is like a legend, th- and the the bridge that it comes out of the magical air is when all the dead people cross that bridge, but they're ghosts. You can't see them, and they come collect oh, yeah. what you bought to them. But guess what? If no one comes to your 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 grave, then that means your legacy's dead, oh, and like so you have sad. no. And then you can't cross the I remember, bridge. I did stuck see the movie, there. and I was crying. Yeah, yeah I believe they leave them. Offerings. Yeah. yeah. Offerings. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, Beautiful. thank you. For, you you got that. Ding, Girl, ding. I know you more won, than everybody. You win. Uh, where is Cinco de Mayo? Well, it's wherever you want it to be. It's just where uh, you could have I could have it in the studio right now. Get to my favorite. My favorite one is, is Cinco de Mayo about may- mayonnaise. Get it? Because it's a mayonnaise. No. <laughs> It's not about mayonnaise. Not mayo means may. Oh my god! All right, that, and there you but go. But even though you do eat mayonnaise on a lote, uh, on a what? On a lote. Lote day. A, a lote. So oh, elote is the corn. The corn. Oh, it's with the sweet corn. Oh, oh with my god. Mayonnaise. Oh, it's and called the elote. Cheese. My god. Yeah. It oh. is the best. If you now, if you want the the pro, the butter, gentrified no. version, go to Trader Joe's and get the Mexican corn that they got. It's good. It's still good. Hmm. So good. It's still very delicious. I'm it's one so of my favorite picks. Right <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right. Celebrate single de Mayo in Have a in a, a safe good way. One exactly, and just uh, you know, Google. Don't wear and, and know why it's happening. Don't wear any hats don't wear any materials this is not a time for you to dress up just wear your normal clothes and drink tequila all right bring it that's all you gotta do uh now coming up the anti-trans law tennessee is trying to pass under the radar and facebook's official announcement of whether they will keep trump banned from the platform that's next on what's trending this out let's go there with shira and ryan channel q Coming up this hour, TikTok has got a new trend, and it involves best friends kissing, and why the LGBTQ community <sighs> is calling it out. All these TikTok trends, I can't even keep up. Challenges, hashtags. You love it though. Like, I it's do. Like it's like I, thing. I do. I have a love hate relationship with it. I don't get There's it. There's moments that I'm like, yes, this is so fun. It's you know, oh, there's always something new. I'm entertained, and then moments I'm like, no, I, I could live life without this. I mean, I can. To be honest, I feel like I can live a really good life without any social. Uh huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like I genuinely feel that the perks are that you know you've you get discovered by people, you have access to people you wouldn't have typically had access. Do you to. get discovered by well, people? Yeah, you like you tweet and then someone finds you. Oh well, yeah, yeah. And that's then, how and I got then, to then, be on Tamron Exactly, and then, like so many people that follow you now that you're friends with. Like, there's that side of social media that I really love. Yeah, the empowering side. Yeah, and then there's like, but that's like 25 percent of it. Yeah, it's a bit much. It's a bit much, for sure. Uh, But we're also going to be talking about why Kim Kardashian is caught up in a scandal with the feds. That's in the T-Report in a moment. What's wrong with me? Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. Governor Ron DeSantis has announced bonuses for law enforcement. 
Oh my God, do we have to play this? Okay, here we go. I asked the legislature in this legislative session, we need to do bonuses uh, for law enforcement. Some want to defund the police. We're funding the police and then some. I asked the legislature. Okay, and uh, that's happening in Florida. Ron DeSantis is actually being looked at as one of the front runners on the Republican side for president in 2024. So, buckle <sighs> up. The only thing he's a front runner for is driving the Oscar Mayer wiener truck. That's the only thing. He looks like he sells hot dogs. I don't know why. I've always thought that about him. Interesting. Yeah, it is kind of interesting, right? That's an interesting take. <laughs> yes, it is. It's random, hot but yeah, take. I've always thought that about hot him. Hot dog take. Doesn't he look like a hot dog or something? I don't know. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, Facebook's oversight board. This is a big announcement uh, that former President Trump his Facebook account will remain suspended for the time being. They agreed that his rhetoric had created a serious risk of violence, but they say that the social network had been arbitrary arbitrary, sorry, in ousting him indefinitely. The board upheld Trump's suspension, but ordered within six months of this decision, Facebook must re-examine the arbitrary penalty it imposed on January 7th and decide the appropriate penalty. That is weird that you they said that it was arbitrary when they did it because it wasn't really. Wait, but he's not going to be back, right? For at least the next six months. They said they were going to It was really- all bull****. That's what he thinks. He's probably really upset about it. But to be honest, I, I'm just happy that they didn't bring him back on because I really figure, I mean, six months, it just feels like cut the cord. If you're going, if you don't want him on your platform, then why give him a time frame? If you think it's six months, he's going to take a Tony Robbins class and become the next best beautiful person? No. He's still going to be crappy. Oh, that would be amazing. Like, what is this? He's not going to have some type of, like, whole entire, you know, rebrand. It's not going to happen. Trump Robbins. It's gross. (laughs) Now, finally, Tennessee has been leading the nation in passing and enacting anti-trans legislation all of this year, really. Now they're trying to enact an anti-trans measure while bypassing the bill-making process completely. The state legislature has approved an amendment to a bill, which which is itself amending a different bill. So it's an amendment on an amendment to make it law to claim standard medical practice does not involve prescribing hormone treatment. And that, of course impacts uh, trans individuals who want hormone treatment, so including those who are minors. So they're finding a little bypass on that, uh, but that was what's trending this hour, what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan. Okay, so Kim Kardashian has gotten caught up with the feds over a stolen sculpture. The story is a little crazy, has a lot of details, but we got this. Buckle up. It's time for the T Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So the U.S. government is asking Kim K to forfeit an ancient Roman sculpture that was apparently illegally smuggled out of Italy. So the antique artwork um, is basically, I mean, it dates back to the first or second century, which, wow. Remember those good old days, Shira? The first and second century. No. Yeah. I remember that. Those were great. I mean, you you were the first century. I was obviously the second century. You're older than hey, me. Hey, yeah. One is the best. Um, well, the artwork was stopped when it arrived in Los Angeles uh, in May 2016 as the authorities were alerted that it might be protected cultural property. 
Well, the feds, it, the name on it said that Kim Kardashian was about to receive this whole entire thing. And it was, the sculpture was grouped in with a whole bunch of other furniture that was worth about $726,000, give or take. Um, well, the feds ordered Kardashian to basically relinquish the work in a civil uh forfeit basically complaint filed in California. There's no suggestion that she was aware of the statue's origins. A representative of Kardashian said that Kim never purchased this piece and this is the first time she's even learning uh, of, of its existence. We believe it may have been purchased using her name without authorization and because it was never received, she was unaware of the transactions. So there's something going on with art and you know like Kim K's whole house is like a museum, so I wouldn't be shocked if she's like buying all of this like black market sculpture work. <laughs> or and then someone else is happened. doing it, or they, she bought a bunch of stuff from there, and they're like, "Well, why don't we just add in this thing, and then we'll take it off the boat or something like that?" Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's if so I was weird. someone like that, I would think, "How do I get this illegally into the states without people noticing?" Well, find someone who does big. A shipments yeah. or big uh, deliveries and throw it in there. You know what the real shocker here is? What? Even if I had all the money that Kim Kardashian had, I'm never spending $725,000 on some damn furniture. That's your famous last Not that people sit on. Words. Famous last word. People put their legs on. She got kids, and I know they're probably wearing their shoes in the in the house and on the furniture. Yes. I'm not. Are you kidding me? That's is a, a bit, bit much. much. I feel like art, you... you Art is that much. There is definitely art, but unless it's an art piece, that's a piece of furniture. No, I'm sorry. It's a lot. But hey, if, if uh, Beyonce <laughs> didn't, in, didn't literally sculpture it with her fingers or something, I'm not paying for it. <laughs> what? That's like one post on Instagram for her. Yeah, for sure. That's your tea report. I got more coming up next hour. Next up on the show, the TikTok trend that has been, uh, or that has best friends kissing each other and why the LGBTQ plus community is calling it out. That's next. This TikTok trend is being uh, called out. We'll tell you why. So it has a, or it uses a sound called they might kiss promiscuous. And so it's all about kind of spin the bottle vibes. I think it's this is totally awkward and cringy because a lot of these folks on TikTok are, as you can imagine, teenagers. So you watch two teenagers hanging out. It's either a boy and a girl or uh, two girls and it's like will they kiss will they not and then you discover at the end of the video whether they're gonna like be friends or they're gonna kiss uh, and so it kind of features little flirtation but a lot of people are calling it out because they're saying that TikTok is featuring the ones that include the um, hetero friends like the boys and the girls uh, and the ones that are two girls, possibly. And as you can imagine, there's not a lot of ones that are two guys. And maybe they're not even showing those. But it's been cut out of the algorithm because it's deemed as LGBTQ or queer. What are we talking about? <laughs> We're talking about TikTok censoring. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, or okay. the, the discomfort of these platforms with anything that might lean into the queer behavior. Okay. Even though it might not even be just two girls kissing or two boys kissing, doesn't mean you're in the community. Right. It doesn't mean that. And I think we, we, we constantly see these things happen from like YouTube is the one that comes to my mind of censoring like queer content and being called out for it. Um, and TikTok, this is not the first time they've done that. They were, they've censored bodies. Um, they've censored, uh, they've censored queer content as well. They, there's a lot of stuff on TikTok that they, they were censoring at one point and then they were getting a lot of backlash for. I think we even reported about it here. 
Um, and it feels like if they're doing that again, it's kind of like we've reached this moment where it's like they're not really learning or listening to any of the users who are using the platform and are being, a, you know, kind of impacted by this hands-on, like, right? If you, one, these, te- these little trends are stupid. Like, I don't, I don't really get it. The kissing your best friend, like, what? It's like if we actually, kiss we, you. like, well, no, the whole thing would be there would be music in, in it, like, in the background, and then in the video, you'll see us, like, hanging out, and we're next to each other, and then you have to wait until um, it, the stop, it stops and the new beat comes in to see if we're going to kiss or just pretend we're, fr- we're Maybe. friends. Maybe. Republicans have a point. <laughs> I actually think we should do this, Ryan. Uh, because it's like us getting very close to each other and then you don't, like, you think we're going to kiss, but we actually don't. I'm just say, I don't know. Maybe Republicans have a point. It's the suspense. Our, our liberals and uh, these young kids just doing stupid stuff. It also goes back to, uh, once again, as I said, the spin the bottle type thing, right? Are you going to do it? I've never had a good that? experience with the spin the bottle or, like, hiding in the closet seven minutes ahead. It's weird. Have you done it? When I was younger, I didn't. I actually had some <gasps> pretty, like... Was that your first kiss? My first... Um, French kiss was at. You were. Oh, that's not a song to play for French kissing. Um, you were French kissing at what age? It was young. It was like, I was prepubescent. Oh, you weren't even doing it right then. No, just listen to me. You had no me. clue what you was it, doing. It was actually very uh, traumatic because I was on a bus and we were playing Truth or Dare and I was 13. Okay, okay. So I was pretty young and I got. Felt the the guy felt me up. It was like, oh, feel her so you up. You got a song in front of people. <gasps> wow. That he went under my teeth. Okay, and yeah. It's wow, really- Shira. You know, every story you've shared on this this show has not been a good one. So me, but I, I I'm, I'm I'm so happy that you're, you're for sharing. Me, I've like no, I've normalized it, but then as an adult, sometimes I look back and I'm like, ooh, that kind of didn't feel good. Wow, you see where TikTok can take you? It can really you see, bring life there. lessons to you. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, Shira, tell your therapist. I mean, I do every week. You know, we had a segment, went to quit therapy. I keep wondering if I'm ever going to be able to quit. More stuff keeps coming up every day. Like, she I'm has never the answers quit. for you. I don't... My whole savings are going to go to my therapist. Wow. <sighs> well, let us know what you think at LGT Show of everything we're sharing. Well, we're here for you as well. <laughs> and uh, coming up... It is AAPI Heritage Month, and after this, we're going to be talking about the pitfalls and promise of the term Asian American. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Many use the term Asian American or AAPI when describing these communities. Of course, it's AAPI Heritage Month, and we want to have uh, conversations around the nuances that a lot of us don't discuss. It's not as inclusive of a term as many think. And joining us right now is Dina Okamoto, professor of sociology at Indiana University. Thanks for being here for this with us. Sure. So when discussing this, it's important to look at historical context. Why and how did we start using the term Asian American and how has it evolved over time? Because in this article where we actually found, um, discovered you in Vox.com, it says that it was originally seen as a ra- something radical, Yes. Yeah, this is a history that I think a lot of people don't um, recognize or realize that the term Asian American came from a political movement in the late 1960s, and it was quite a radical term. Um, Asian American activists and students basically created this new panethnic term to encompass all these different Asian origin groups, and they did it 
um, in response, they're really trying to um, they're trying to step away from the term Oriental, which they felt like had a very kind of imperialist view and a European colonialist view. And they wanted to create a new term that was their own. Um, and Asian Americans during this time that were part of this political movement were aligning with um, they, they were aligning with the Black Power movement, um, the anti-war movement, and it really had these radical beginnings. But again, today we just think about Asian American as a census category. But if we look into this history, it's a lot more complicated and complex. Yeah, I mean, I was uh, shocked to read that the term and label, I guess, Asian American was once a radical one. What does that mean? Why was it so radical? Um, it was radical because Asian Americans, so mostly, you know, if we're talking about the late 1960s, um, it was Japanese, Chinese, and Filipinos, they really didn't see themselves as having anything in common, right? And it was radical because they really were thinking about um, again, their involvement in the Black Power movement and thinking about independence movements abroad, um, sovereignty movements, and they were thinking about how, as Asian Americans, they could kind of bond together and build this new identity. Again, taking um, ideas from the Black Power movement and other progressive radical movements during the period. Um, and again, Asian Americans at the time did not have they did not see themselves as having anything in common. It was a pretty, pretty radical idea to think about how they shared kind of struggles of exclusion and discrimination in the United States based on race, right? They'd never thought in those terms before. So the term AAPI is also meant to be inclusive, but its usage in government data in particular has had the opposite effect. This again was looked at in this Vox.com article. Can you explain that? Sure. I mean, right. Any sort of term, right, like Asian American or AAPI, um, on the one hand, while, while it had these radical beginnings, at least the term Asian American, it also today um, what it can do is really lump these really diverse groups together, right? And we may think that they have similar types of experiences. On the one hand, they do, right? They're shaped by race in the United States. But on the other hand, right, there's diversity within that population that sometimes and oftentimes um, we tend to overlook, right? These differences in terms of national origin, language, um, citizenship status, legal status, immigration, right? Meaning history of immigration to the United States. And so I think that's the thing that these terms can really help to politicize groups and bring them together to try to work together for social change. Um, but on the other hand, right, it's important that we recognize the distinctions and differences within that group or category, that we look at the nuances um, and again, the differences that make up APIs, for example, or any other racial group in the United States. Yeah, which again is why, and I did a whole clubhouse chat around this, not just saying community because it's communities. And once again, like, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for being here for this. We appreciate it. We hope to continue this conversation. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. That was Dina Okamoto, professor of sociology at Indiana University. Coming up on the show, would you let your significant other have an annual getaway with their ex? More details are coming up around Bill and Melinda Gates' marriage. That's next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So we've been talking about Bill and Melinda Gates and their divorce. Very sad. And actually, it was just noted in the New York Post that the day of this announcement that Gates transferred $1.8 billion in stock to Melinda. I have a question. Why do we say it's sad when someone gets divorced? Because it's the uh, the idealism of love and partnership. But isn't that like going against the grain and not normalizing divorce? Because I feel like divorce should be a normalized thing. Like I it's, think it's, it's listen, not a bad thing no, if it just did not work out. It's sad. I think it's okay to admit that it's sad when you went into something obviously thinking it was going to work out. Yeah. And then when it doesn't, yeah, it's always sad to see people probably, you know, um, falling out of love. Doesn't mean it's not normal. There's a stigma around it. It just, it's never easy. Even if you say like, oh, we're ready. Everyone knows any breakup is difficult. There's transitions, whether it be like transitions of where you're living or uh, different things that need to be done. It's not a fun yeah. process, let's be no, clear. No, it's most definitely not. And I and I get that. I just always think about like how we describe things and how it could like. Oh, totally. You know? It could shift how we look at it. Like me being like, oh, so sorry. Like I feel bad for you when you're like. No, it's all good. I love it when, like, you know, people throw divorce parties. Because, like, that's them literally celebrating the fact that they've grown out of a situation and they're embarking on a new chapter. And I think that's a better way of looking at it. Or what Gwyneth says, a conscious uncoupling. Oh, who's Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah, she said that. I'm sorry. A woman that names a candle after a vagina I'm not listening to. Free the vagina. <laughs> so following this whole announcement, there's been these unusual details about their marriage uh, that have been coming out. Of course, everyone's trying to snoop. We're all interested. I think, well, I my conspiracy was that he he probably cheated on her or something. Or something's, you know, down there is working. So, Not for her, but it's working. <laughs> the New York Post uh, revealed this 1997 Time magazine profile. It's now resurfacing. Where Gates, who's, by the way, now 65, revealed a questionable arrangement he had with his ex-girlfriend, Anne Winblad, while married to Melinda. Basically, this situation was each spring, Gates and his former friend, I guess they dated briefly, but she was five years older than him, and so it didn't work out. But they would spend a long weekend together at her Outer Banks, North Carolina beach bungalow, enjoying several activities, including long walks on the beach. Gates said... Um, and talked about this yearly trip, which he had done for decades, saying, we can play putt-putt while discussing biotechnology. Uh, And now pictures of this getaway are coming out. It's described as a retreat for beach lovers, and they spent a lot of time there annually during his marriage. And so it brings up the question, would you be okay if your husband, or I mean your partner, had an arrangement like this where they got to hang out with an ex-lover? Ooh, um, like once a year, including someone like they're good friends now. Well, to be honest, I feel like I've been kind of honest about like I wouldn't mind like exploring the idea of like open relationships at some point in my life, like while I'm still young and fresh and can do all those things. But um, I, you know, I don't think I I I don't think I would be okay, especially down the line. This idea of like taking a hall pass and going to hang out with, unless you know, like if it's like a a Will Smith, Jada Pickett Smith, and his wife, like well, his ex wife, like they they have a family. It's like an extended family relationship. If they're like extended family, and there's the boundaries, you don't have to worry about nothing. Then cool. Yeah, yeah. you really know this is a friend, yeah. and nothing yeah. is happening. I agree. Like I think if you have that comfort level and there's real trust and transparency, which hopefully 
probably there is if you're in a partnership like a marriage. Maybe. However, I do, it does bring up some triggers for me. Like, on one hand, I feel like, oh, it'd be nice, like, I'm still friends with my ex and I haven't been able to see him for the past year and a half. And I'm like, oh, I don't think an annual trip, though. Like, I think it'd be nice to see him when he comes back to the States. But do I need. But do I need an annual trip? And would I feel comfortable with my boyfriend doing that with someone? No, I probably think not. your partner and yourself has to be comfortable. There has to be guidelines and boundaries. And if that is not something that one partner is not okay with, then you just got to well, let that's it true. go. At LGT shows where you can slide into our DMs. Let us know what you think about this situation. <laughs> would you let it go? But coming up, the latest state to ban the LGBTQ plus panic defense. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up this hour of the show, of course, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we're going to be looking at what your daily emoji use says about your stress levels and how to change them. I, I love this. You know, I love a good emoji story. Diving into your emojis. Check those out and then take that in, you know, with the meaning behind your emojis while we talk about this in 15 minutes. But let's get into some what's trending this hour. Vermont has officially become the 14th state to ban the LGBTQ plus panic defense. Here's Governor Phil Scott. Today I'm signing H-128, an act relating to limiting criminal defenses based on victim identity, which many of you may know as the Trans Panic Defense Bill into law. With this legislation, Republicans, Democrats, and progressives alike send a message to Vermonters that your identity should never be an excuse for someone to cause you harm. What this bill does is make sure a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity can't be used to defend or justify a criminal act. Okay, there you go. Said with enthusiasm from Governor Phil Scott. It's, it's, it's good stuff, though. Uh, we're very proud of Vermont for making this move. Now, the Atlanta police officer who was fired after fatally shooting a black man, 27-year-old Rayshard Brooks, in a Wendy's parking lot last year, has been reinstated by Atlanta's Civil Service Board. Garrett Rolfe, a seven-year veteran of the department, was fired and charged with felony murder. And finally, a measure in Tennessee to honor Brothers Osborne singer T.J. Osborne, who recently came out as gay, has been blocked by Republicans in the state's House of Representatives after it had unanimously passed the Senate. Representative Jeremy Faison, chair of the House Republican Caucus, is the lawmaker responsible for blocking it. And some say basically killing the measure. He said there was a procedural objection, although many believe that his history of supporting anti-LGBTQ legislation is really the reason for him putting the kibosh on the honor. So an early yes queen also to T.J. Osborne. Join in the fam. That was What's Trending This Hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Okay, so, you know, TLC shows, they always love, like, those big families, you know, like the over, like, you know, Johnny K plus eight, 19 kids and counting. Um, Well, speaking of 19 kids and counting, the Duggar family, I remember I used to watch this show because I was so kind of like, I don't know, like, I was shocked to see, one, this... I'm not, I don't want to call them weird, but at this point, because our story's weird, they're very weird. They lived like on a farm and they had all these kids and they were very religious and, and 
Yeah, they just kind of believed in that. Well, they've been all over the news recently because one of the sons was just arrested um, because he's been dealing with a porn addiction. He, um, basically, he got arrested for um, basically having child pornography, over 200 images of child pornography on his um, on his computer. Um, he appeared over a Zoom uh, over Zoom for a court hearing on uh, basically today in his child pornography case. His name is Josh Duggar. Uh, during the uh, hearing, an agent from the Department of Homeland Security said that Josh's computer had more than 200 images involving naked minors. I mean, absolutely disgusting. Um, the Fed says witnesses, including family and friends, um, brought up Josh's alleged addiction to porn in interviews mm. with law enforcement. However, Josh's defense asked the agent if there's evidence that Duggar had looked at the alleged images. First of all, if these images are on your computer, why? I mean, a lawyer has to do their job, right? But, like, how gross. This is just weird. Um, this is the same guy who, by the way, his sister um, wrote in a book. One of the sisters, one of the many 19 mm. kids, wrote on the sisters of a, a time where um, he actually, like, did some things to her. It's, like, awful. Oh, it's God. an awful, awful story. I, this is for my TLC fans out there. If y'all used to watch 19 Kids and Counting, this story is just wild to read. He's facing up to 20 years behind bars and finds up to $250,000 on each count. This kind of reminds me of that guy from Glee. Oh. Remember him, yeah. the one that unfortunately committed suicide? Yeah. Because he was dealing with the same kind of weird issue. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to, like, um, talk about is is it um, a mental health? It's it's a mental Girl, health disorder. Or I don't care. That- I feel like I can judge weirdos like this. I'm not holding my tongue. He's weird, and he's looking at child pornography. Well, it's obviously and, illegal. And, and then what do you do about folks that that do this? He needs to rot in jail. Is, is what I what I need for him and the judge to do. But um, outside of that, that's my T report for right now. But uh, I want to tell you and give you all a chance to win a Las Vegas trip for two round trip airfare and an epic two night stay at the all new resorts world Las Vegas. Um, and guess what? You're going to get to party with Tiesto. Head over to weirdchannelq.com for your chance to win. Um, of course, we're going to hook you up with two VIP passes to catch Tiesto sets at the Resorts World Las Vegas. Um, so, yeah, head over there and try to win. Coming up on the show, what your daily emoji says about your mental health. How can you go from head exploding emoji to hard emojis? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Emojis are so central to our everyday lives. So what do your emojis that you use daily say about who you are, how you're living your life, and your mental health? It is Mental Health Awareness Month, so we thought this was a perfect thing to talk about. Janice Litvin, Livton sorry, joins us, a coach, keynote speaker, author of the new book, Banish Burnout Toolkit. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Okay, so let's get into how our emojis reflect what's going on. Is that really true? Like, could they indicate whether you're feeling good about your life or depressed? Uh, absolutely. Listening to that wonderful Gaga music, all I could think about was emojis of laughing and dancing. So that makes you feel good. <laughs> So, I mean, so if you're if your top emojis basically are smiles, hearts, dancing, you could say you're a pretty positive person. Absolutely. And you can have a down day. There's nothing to say you can't have a down day. 
but why are you having a down day and can you really turn it around? Yeah, but what if you're faking it? Oftentimes, you know, people say LOL and they're not laughing out loud. So what if you're faking it? Oh, oh, yes. What if you're faking it? Um, yeah, like you're using yep. like heart, you know, you're using the happy emojis, but you're not really feeling happy inside. Well, sometimes when you're faking it, you it actually causes you to convert into that emoji. Mm. So if I'm if I'm in a bad mood and let's say I'm at the mall and somebody I run into a friend and they're excited to see me, I'm going to be excited to see them. I'm going to suddenly be happy. So it's yeah. all about how you how you do how you play it. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's like when you uh, sit somewhere and cry, obviously it's good to feel all your feelings, but if you kind of not force yourself, but you start to think of, okay, I'm going to like focus on smiling and laughing right now. You could actually get yourself in that mood, even though you're not there. So I do uh, believe in that. But what do people need to be worried about? Like what emojis uh, should people be looking out for that could say that there is something going on that they should look at? Well, if somebody is always, having uh, sad emojis and they're always putting stuff on Facebook that's horrible things in the news, then then they need to look at that. But if they can intersperse some happy moments and share some joy, that's important too. We want to be balanced. Yeah, because if you're always complaining about stuff, which is, it's good to vent, but you could also get yourself in a complaining hole. You know, I, I can talk all day about complaining. I used to be the master or the mistress of complaining. And what I realized over the years is that nobody wanted to be around me because I was always complaining. Yeah. And, all, and, it, and it's also very self-serving and self-pity and poor as me and my life is so horrible. Some people are always glass half full and some people are always glass half empty. So, from just talking to us a little bit, who do you think is what? Do you think I'm like the the, the optimistic one? Because I'm not. I'm just you telling just gave you. Gave it away. I know. I'm just telling you. <laughs> well, I can just tell by your tone of voice. Yes, I love that. Okay, at least I'm giving <laughs> off what I want to give off. No, but I think this is really interesting, right? Because I feel like I'd never really put too much emphasis on the emojis unless I'm like in a romantic situation, right? Where I'm like trying to flirt or trying to like, you know, show someone I'm interested. But like, what if they just don't get it? Like they don't understand the signs. And I just, I think it's really interesting, this idea of like just communicating through emojis and what it really means. Because sometimes I feel wow. like it doesn't mean anything. Well, yeah, emojis are nothing. They're just like a, a picture. I mean, they're just like, and they're not even your own picture. They're just, they're preconceived notions of what somebody might be feeling when in reality, our emotions are pretty complex. Mm. That is true. You know, I didn't think about this as much, even though I kind of do, because it's true. When I meet someone and I'm kind of like getting very flirty on text, I'll look at my emojis that week or month and they are very, you know, either... Um, you know, lovey-dovey or otherwise. Uh, but I did have a project I worked on in the beginning of the year, and you know which project, Ryan. And that week or month of that project, I noticed my emojis were all like, my head was exploding, uh, crying emoji. Like, and I was like, this is crazy. I've never seen so many negative emojis from my myself. You know, now that you're talking about emojis, I was just thinking back to what emojis I use in general, and it's either laughing, 
sometimes it'll have a tear but with a last or sometimes I'm just putting figures of um, a Spanish dancing lady because I love to dance. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I usually make sad face emojis unless something horrible has happened, of course. Or, of course, if you're always doing laughing while you're crying, is that passive aggressive? Think about it. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) It could be be a tear of joy or, you know, just kind of a snide kind of tears that's true uh well just uh, you know this is uh definitely emojis for thought think about your emojis and uh check them out today and see you know if if you're surprised at what they are and if if there's you know you see a consistent pattern then maybe there's something you got to do with your life it could be a sign janice lipton thank you so much for being with us today sure thank you so much Janice is the author of... She didn't want to thank me. <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm she forgot to all about her. <laughs> Janice is the author of Banish Burnout Toolkit, which is focused on keeping you happy and productive through unique wellness strategies. Love that. Now, coming up, a new report that reveals how the next generation of women are embracing more diverse sexuality. I wonder what their emojis are like, or mine. I mean, I'm a lady. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Women ages 18 to 29 are increasingly rejecting heterosexuality and describing their sexual orientation in other ways. It's not surprising, but now it's official from this recent report. And joining us is Dr. Sean Massey, Associate Professor in Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies Program at Binghamton University, who was the co-investigator of this Human Sexualities Research Lab. Thanks for being here. Sure. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on the program. So what was the premise of this report and all this work you did over nine years? Yeah. So um, I have to be honest with you. um, The story behind the study is that we actually never intended to look at changes in sexual orientation over time. Um, It's sort of standard practice to collect information about sexual orientation um, together with other demographic characteristics for all the different studies we do. And we've been collecting data on on college student sexual behaviors for about ten years, and, and over ten years actually. And we just we we look. We, it all, suddenly occurred to us that we had a lot of data, and that we should probably explore if there are any changes or trends. And we did it, and we, what we found is really really surprising. What's surprising about it? Well. Um, First of all, we looked at about over 5,000 students who were surveyed between 2011 and 2019. And and we'd asked questions about um, sexuality, looking at sexual identity, sexual attraction, sexual behavior. And we used a scale that measured uh, these things across uh, like like seven, seven points. So it basically went from exclusively heterosexual all the way to exclusively homosexual, kind of following what Kinsey did, you know, way back in the day. And, you know, at first what we found, and we kind of expected this, is that college students seem to be moving away from being exclusively heterosexual. They seem to be moving, becoming less heterosexual overall. Yeah, because it's boring. And, but when we took gender into consideration, what we found was this is primarily happening with women. That men, really, we didn't see the same kind of changes with men. In fact, they tended to be more likely to describe themselves as exclusively heterosexual more than women, but then the changes that we were seeing over the 10 years, and it was like a, a really dramatic change, was primarily women. Hmm. And um, women basically reported kind of moving away from exclusive uh, 
heterosexuality or exclusive attraction to the other sex, um, but not men. So interesting because I I wonder if both genders are there, but just men haven't aren't sp- still not speaking up about you it. You took as the much. question right out of my mind, Shira. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we actually think that that's true too. That there, I mean, there's a lot of things that could affect it, right? And one of the things we were sort of reacting to is is that this story is typically told through the lens of, of the LGBTQ rights movement, right? That we have we've made progress in terms of things like marriage equality and and that that's what's driving these trends. In fact, Gallup, the Gallup organization just put, you know put out their poll, which showed similar trends overall. And really described it as coming primarily from the successes of the LGBTQ movement, right? But but what we we thought about, well, then why would there be differences here, you know, between men and women? Why would they why would they be so dramatic? And part of what we also kind of had found out over the years is that that you know that the sort of success of the feminist movement, you know, ha- has really been in, in the ways that it has sort of changed. Uh, Basically, the situation of women and, and, and gender roles and sex roles with women, sort of moving them away from some of the traditional uh, notions that, that sort of require women to sort of be um, both but kind of focused on men, right? And, and lesbian feminism specifically talked about compulsory heterosexuality as sort of this, this sort of source of gender inequality, that women's dependence and focus and, and the need that women need to focus on men is what was sort of driving a lot of, of gender inequality. Right. And so what we were thinking is that, well, you know, feminism has really changed um, gender roles and sex roles for women, but those same changes haven't really happened as fast with men. And so what, what we thought we, we would be seeing here is that in addition to kind of LGBTQ progress, we also are seeing kind of the, the consequences of, you know, a century of... of, of of uh, feminist progress mm-hmm. and that, that basically that's what's also sort of contributing to this greater change among women. So interesting. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. I have so much more to ask, but we have to wrap up. This is uh, really uh, fascinating work and thank you for joining us. Real quick though, you got 30 oh. seconds. When there is a <laughs> poll, when the Gallup poll earlier this year said that, you know, most Americans or most Gen Zers are, you know, coming out as queer, it doesn't really seem like this is a surprising study, especially if we see that queerness is basically the future. So what do you what do you think that's going to look like and when you're further examining your research and there's different sexualities besides just heterosexuality and homosexuality, how do you guys continue, think that'll continue to evolve as your research evolves? I, I think that's a really great question. And, and honestly, we have a whole line of, of, of questions that we want to explore further. Remember, this was sort of like a looking back at archival data as opposed to sort of planning the whole thing from scratch. Right. We've really changed the way we ask about gender in our in our survey research. We, we really, you know, we need to, to also change the ways that we ask about sexuality. We want to keep asking these same questions so we can track it, you know, over the next next decade. But we we need a whole bunch more complimentary questions to go with it, and we plan to do that. Okay, that was Dr. Sean Massey from Binghamton University, also co-investigator in the Binghamton Human Sexualities Research Lab. Have a great rest of your day. Hey, thank you so much. Take care. Now, the craziest Starbucks order ever that is currently going viral, how far is too far? That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So this Starbucks drink we're about to talk about might be the craziest Starbucks order ever. And it brings up the question, like, 
how far is too far in terms of what you're ordering? Is this like torture for folks who are at Starbucks working? Oh, now I know what we're talking about. Yeah. So uh, someone tweeted this. At Project Josie posted a photo of a Starbucks mobile order from a customer named Edward, tweeting, on today's episode of Why I Want to Quit My Job. So in the order, this is crazy. Edward ordered a venti, which is large, by the way, for someone who doesn't speak Starbucks language, caramel ribbon crunch frappuccino, on top of that, he also asked for 13 separate customizations, extra toppings, drizzles, flavor, more ice, whipped cream, a double blend. It goes on and on. 13 things. Is this just too much? I mean, well, I'm not a Starbucks person. Like, I don't order drinks from there besides, like, strawberry refreshers. And the most I get added into that is lemonade. You should try it. It's the most amazing thing that you've ever experienced in your mouth. Um, well, depends it's on what you ask. Um, <laughs> just, Where's the sound effect for that? I'm you know, just thinking, you know, just, I don't have it. I don't, I, it's too many buttons, Shira. <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> Yeah, from um, thinking about that, yes. So, guess how much the Starbucks drink was? 13 uh, toppings. Uh, 13 toppings. Ooh, I'm going to say $27 because they're already expensive. Don't they yeah, charge like you for that? $22. <gasps> wow, I was like really on the nose. Wait, so no, but that was because five twenty-five for the hibiscus lemon uh, tea, but then the ice black tea had like 15 extras. I don't know if someone was trolling this Starbucks and they thought like, oh, this would be really funny. Will they actually do this? No, I think people are actually that difficult. I would like to see someone actually go into a store and have all of those lists of things, right? Because I feel like these are online orders where you're like using the app and you're just kind of getting away with it because all you have to do is just pick it up you don't have to face anyone but imagine actually standing there with people behind you and you're doing a grocery list of stuff it's embarrassing it's like why people can do rude things on social media when you're not seeing them say that you could do it when it's on your app so what's your starbucks order so i i must say this is my this is my take and i actually did this i ordered an iced americano i do a dash of oat milk or so uh, you're this person wait but i do have something i'm anal about um, and it's that I don't like drinks. She's talking to the right crowd then. <laughs> Buzzword. <laughs> Take a shot. Uh, I have. I don't like it to be too milky. Because, like, I have a thing. What is happening here? Are we- <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have a thing like, and today I ordered a drink and it came out. I wanted a drink that you could see. Okay, I could see the coffee. I could taste the coffee. Oh it was God. like, almost like a... a a, a nude tan drink. It was like sands, right? Like that color. I want it to be a bit more of a dark brown. And I swear, when someone gives me those drinks, I can't take it. I'm really about to start a GoFundMe for your boyfriend because he's going through a lot. <laughs> he has to be. Has to be. Imagine. <laughs> um, Just dealing with Shira. Let us know. What is your go-to drink? Are you a hard orderer? At LGT shows where you can find us on social media. We've got what's trending this hour next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show in 30 minutes, the pitfalls and promise of the term Asian American. What's the historical context and where do we go from here to be better allies? That conversation this hour. Uh, but first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki told people to stay tuned when she was asked about whether President Joe Biden will nominate any lesbians or transgender people to be ambassadors. 
At the White House press briefing yesterday, the Washington Blades' Chris Johnson asked Saki about representation of American diversity overseas. She said, certainly the president looks to ensuring that the people representing him, not just in the U.S., but around the world, represent the diversity of the country. That certainly includes people who are LGBTQ, members of the transgender community, too. So some announcements possibly to come very soon. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced some incentives for sports fans to get vaccinated. Here he is. You're going to the game. We will set up at the game a facility as you're going in. Come a little bit early and get your vaccine at the game. You're going to the game anyway. It's on your way. Stop and get a vaccine. Come on. And (laughs) if you get a vaccine. What? You Uh get a free ticket to a Yankees or Mets game. Come on, New Yorkers, Mets and Yankees games for a vaccine. Is that offensive? It's a New Yorker accent. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a Jew. I'm basically a New Yorker. It sounded Italian to me, like uh, one of those like loud Italian. Not. I mean, I am a loud Jew. It's basically the same thing. Finally. A young woman in Mali gave birth to nine babies yesterday, joining a very rare club of mothers to non-nuplets. At the same time? Yeah, Poor she got a vagina. C-section. No, they didn't oh, come out Oh, it's a C-section. Okay, good. But I'm just amazed. We talked yesterday about a woman having a baby she didn't even know on a flight. I mean, women are amazing. This miraculous pregnancy of 25-year-old Halima Sis has fascinated the people of the West African country. When doctors advised her that she needed specialist care. Authorities flew her to Morocco where she gave birth. So she had five girls and four boys. How do you even deal with that as a new mom? Nine kids at once. Wow. That's the worst. That's like the worst news anyone could give someone. Well, like you're about to have nine kids right now. Are you excited? <laughs> no. Shove them back in there. Can we like reverse time? Can we just rewind? I bet she she regretted that decision. (laughs) That was uh, what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, so Jen Richards, you know, we've been wondering what the ladies um, that were featured on I Am Kate, um, you know, that, you know, reality show that Caitlyn Jenner was on on E! News and was all about her transition and kind of learning about just trans, you know, the trans experience and having all just different perspectives. And there were so many different trans women. Jen Richards, she was a co-star on that show. And of course, Richards is a um, she's an activist. She's an actress. Um, You might know her from a lot of different things, to be quite honest. But um, she's actually talking about Caitlyn Jenner reacting to her whole, um, you know, running for governor. And she said that it really feels like that uh, this all feels like a media opportunity, right? It does. I mean, for Caitlyn Jenner, uh, you know, it just feels like she just wants some press at this point. Um, But she really does feel, she said uh, that she feels like Caitlyn Jenner is complicit in systemic transphobia after her comment that Caitlyn Jenner made about the fairness. Uh, she thinks it's a question of fairness when it comes to biological boys who are trans competing in girls' sports in schools. And um, honestly, I've said this before and I'll continue to say it. You know, 
Caitlyn Jenner's privilege is always going to trump anything that, you know, that a part of her identity that it would be considered marginalized, right? It's going to it's going to trump her being trans because she's just she's right now fighting for a check. She's right now fighting for a position of power that she's just honestly never going to get. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to a whole story about this um the other day and they played a clip from her reality show where others were describing this experience and how someone called out them being trans or something happened. And then Caitlin, Caitlin's like that happens. And they're all like, yeah, every single day people treat me <laughs> as differently because we are trans. And the real kicker here is uh, uh, online yesterday, all over Twitter, people found out that Caitlyn Jenner, you know, she loves playing golf. Well, guess what? Every time she's playing golf, so I don't know if it's like a series or whatever she's doing. Every time she's playing golf, she's playing as a woman. She's playing under the woman's category. So this idea that she's kind of going backwards on her own thought process when she's doing the exact same thing that, you know, Republicans are speaking about is just mind-blowing to me like you're if, if that's the case if caitlin jenner can do it then guess what everyone else should be allowed to do it and just stop attacking trans youth it's absolutely disgusting and ridiculous and honestly that's your t-report um sorry to bring it down some but i feel like it was important to talk about head over to weirdchannelq.com to check out any of the stories that i've covered qd let's go there with shira and ryan channel q we're wrapping up the shows we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. So India, as many of you know, is leading the world in new coronavirus cases, hundreds of thousands of infections per day, a really crazy, tragic death toll. What's happening there is a disaster. Um, and uh, a lot of people are coming together to help. Navajo Nation sent 1,200 cloth masks to India, and it plans to send, uh, send more. They were also devastated by the coronavirus, but... Thankfully, they've rebounded, and the tribe reports that it has vaccinated about 70% of its people may soon reach herd immunity. Less than 2% of India's citizens have been vaccinated, though it is one of the world's leading producers of the vaccine. Uh, so we want to give a shout-out to the Navajo Nation for stepping in. Also, a shout-out to influencer, motivational coach Jay Shetty, who also over the weekend, through this whole live stream that he was part of, they raised $4.8 million. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of money. Yes. So a lot of people doing great things. Uh, Go see what you can do on um, there are resources online uh, where you can just donate to nonprofits or leaders in the space doing great work on the ground because India definitely needs help right now. And that was our Yaz Queen of the day. Yeah. Yes, Queen. If you want to nominate someone for the Yes Queen of the Day or you want to recommend a story for us to cover, just hit us up on social media at LGT Show. Slide into our DMs. We love to hear from you. You better do it. Coming up on tomorrow's show, we're going to be talking about the worst and safest countries for LGBTQ plus travel in 2021. I am out the next two days and... <gasps> oh my God. What? Sharjah Sale Entertainment Journalist and your favorite... On air voice besides me and Shira, of course, is returning back to Channel Q. Exactly, because I'm taking a little break for my birthday. It's okay? your birthday. I deserve. But I'll be still here in spirit, just saying. Uh, and fun time. <laughs> if you miss any of our shows, we post everything as a podcast. Just go to the Odyssey app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris, where he's covering marriage and the pandemic. That's next. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye, y'all.